Recording in progress. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Toys of Franchising. My name is Kristen Chelmetsi. We have not been live in a few weeks now, so we're very excited to bring you a great show today. And without further ado, welcome Sarah Spain. What do you have going on today, Sarah? Hey, Kristen. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Um, so I was kind of looking up our guest that's coming on soon, um, and my first thing to do Yours might be go to LinkedIn, but I'm like, let's go to Instagram and see what she's got going on. So can you tell me what your thoughts are on, um, like, marketing with social media opposed to, like, traditional marketing, which is, like, commercials or flyers or that kind of thing? What do you think um, about how that affects your marketing or business? Would that be important to you when you're looking to buy a company? Funny that you asked me that question. Um because we hadn't discussed that before. And with Mark, uh, with Mark, haha, with Fred being the marketing guy, um, I will give you the answer that most marketing people will tell you. And then I'm going to give you the answer that um, I run my business by. So I think most marketing people will tell you today to only spend money where you're getting results, right? And I think at different times and in different industries, that varies. So there may be some forms that are highly effective, let's say shared mail, that would be like money mail or clipper, those kinds of things. Um, for years and years in my business, the jumbo postcards direct mail worked out great, right? But more and more, people are spending time on their phones, more so than on a computer, more so than on a tablet, and we find that that's where the audience is captured. And that is in a lot of different industries. It doesn't mean that that is the absolute one answer that solves all your problems. And most marketing people will tell you that um, to have a strong marketing plan, especially your franchisors, it has to be balanced. So what that means is sometimes you have digital, sometimes you have social, sometimes you have some mail pieces. Sometimes, you know, for us, we have vehicles that are logos. So it's really um, kind of a, a, well, your target audience is well-defined in some of those mediums. You also have kind of a more widespread approach, again, if you have vehicles. So I don't think that there is a one simple answer to the marketing question, quite frankly, in any segment. Okay. Yeah, um, that kind of makes sense to me. When you're looking at um, as a company that might have different um, companies underneath it, so would that be something that you're looking at them for to say, like, oh, they're taking care of it for me. I don't really have to do anything. It's already there. Like, Molly Maid has that. You can get Molly Maid on Instagram anywhere where I'm working, um, or you can set up your own and do your own individual kind of things. Is that something that's a bonus for you when you're looking at buying a franchise? So, absolutely. 
absolutely, when you're looking at buying a franchise, one of the key aspects that you want to look at is how much support from a marketing perspective is the franchisor giving you. And there are very different categories when you talk about that. There are national marketing funds that franchisees participate in. And often what the franchisor provides is more of a, I'm going to call it, use the word global um, solution to marketing and maybe not market specific. So often franchisees get confused in the difference of, well, what is my total marketing spend? And you look at this 2% of sales or whatnot that gets spent on global or national marketing from the franchisor, but you're also obligated, and you'll find that in your operations manual, um, you're also obligated to local marketing. So specific to the zip codes that I service or specific to um, you know, whatever territory you might be operating in. So again, another question that has kind of multiple answers, but I would tell you that if you don't have a strong marketing plan from your franchisor, whether they help you with local or they just do national marketing, it's definitely a question to ask, and I would say it's a red flag. Cool. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks, Kristen. Sure. And now we are going to get on to our guest of the day. Uh, one of my favorite people, and I'm so excited to talk to her today, Ms. Sabrina Wall with Franchise Brokers Association. Welcome to the show, Sabrina. Thank you so much, Kristen. I appreciate you having me here. Well, we're really glad to have you on. And uh, I know Ray has a million questions for you, um, but could you start off by kind of telling us how it became, from my understanding, you were first a franchisee, and now you are leading um, a large organization that is for franchise brokers, vendors, and uh, franchisors. Can you mm -hmm. kind of tell us about your journey briefly? Uh, I became a franchise broker at the same time that I became a franchisee. So I started two businesses at the very same time. So I was naive and did not realize what that was going to encompass at the time, but that was the journey that I took. and through the process of being a franchisee, I learned how to run a successful business. And the experience of working very, very closely with the regional franchisor or the area rep franchisor that was in my local market, they taught me how to talk to customers and how to fix equipment and how to handle employees and how to uh, service complaints on accounts, which at the time I didn't have those skills. I was young in in the field and had never been a business owner before and really had been independent on my other careers as well. So I just didn't have a lot of experience, but the franchise is what gave me the confidence and the power to understand how having a support group around you and literally change your experience where someone who starts with very little and almost no experience at all mm -hmm. can become someone really great because the team that surrounds them lifts them to that place. And so um, I just had a very positive experience with my franchisor and then also as a broker, I loved loved, loved being a broker in those early days because 
I loved finding how many businesses were available to just any average person that had a will and a dream and a drive, like they could become an owner. And seeing that, like really getting to dive into the different concepts that were available, which were unclear to me at the time. I really believed you had to have millions of dollars and all this business experience in order to become a franchise owner. But Mm -hmm. through that industry, I was exposed to so many concepts that I had no idea existed. And it just opened my eyes to how close the American dream is to anyone that has the willingness to take it. Absolutely. I'm I'm getting the impression, uh, Sabrina, that it was kind of like the wild, wild west when you started. (laughs) Is that that, that kind of true to a certain degree? And if so, were you able to tame that? As a franchise broker, yeah, there – I had come from a computer science degree, and I got into the franchise brokering industry, and I was young, so I didn't feel like I could present myself very well. Like, I needed the tools and the systems and the support around me to present myself well to gain the credibility of these sophisticated buyers that I was working with because they were my senior and they they had all this business experience and I didn't have that. So for me as a broker in the industry, I wanted really professional tools and resources and I wanted to understand not just the marketing material or a little paragraph about the franchise. I wanted to understand understand the actual merit of the brand. Like how good is it really? And so I started building all of these tools and presentations and these research tools that helped me to research and analyze the different brands. And then I started reading FDD after FDD after FDD. And these are, you know, two or 300 page documents. So they're not, and they're legal documents that are not that fun to read, but I wanted to make sure I understood what I was representing. And that began this process of pulling together like-minded people that cared about that, about not just presenting a small number of brands that were simply the ones that paid a good commission, but rather looking at how strong is this brand really and how strong is it for the individual that's buying it because you have different buyers. I'm sorry, but I may have missed, when you bought your franchise, did you use a broker? No. Oh, I I attempted to use a broker, but I had a very okay. bad experience with the broker. And I okay. said, hmm, if this is brokering, they do a better job. Okay. <laughs> what? Well, and, yeah, and that's why I asked because, you know, um, it, it, it's often somebody looking for something and they either can't find it or they don't have a great experience where they find opportunity. My experience was opposite, and the reason I wanted to be able to help people buy franchises is that I had such an amazing experience with my broker that I was like, this is so great, and it's so rewarding, and I can't wait to help people. So we kind of come at the same 
thing, but from two totally different experiences. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, there's an array of different types of brokers out there, just as there is an array of different types of franchises and an array of different types of independent businesses as well. And so it's really finding what kind of person is really an ideal fit for you in your journey and path, whatever that is. So what do you think makes FBA, Franchise Workers Association, different from the other companies out there right now? We have a very, very high focus on education and community and doing the right thing. And I think it's when you're surrounding yourself with a network or an organization of people that are kind of focusing on the same mission, such as a broker group or a franchise system, very important to align yourself with people who share like values as you. Because when things get hard, and they will, you're running a business, Mm -hmm. you need people who are going to help redirect you and re-guide you in a way that serves your values and aligns with who you are as an individual. What are, what are the things that keep you strong in your decision making? Mm-hmm. And our organization has many, many community events every single week. Every day I talk to brokers where we're all coming together and we're helping each other. So there's this reciprocal respect and pulling up and vulnerability of the people that are in the association where they bring their issues and not only one person helps them, but everyone jumps on to help that person work through that client issue. Maybe they're just feeling down, honestly. Maybe it's just something that a deal didn't go through and they're feeling discouraged by it and Mm -hmm. it was the right decision for the candidate, but they spent so much time. And so having that community that Mm -hmm. is always pulling each other back up, back up and realigning on the goals and values it's like it's so beautiful and I just wish everybody had that because honestly when you're surrounded with people that are so caring and supportive you thrive like you really do thrive as an individual you all the best parts of you start to come out and materialize and the more challenging parts of you they start to fade and drop away because you're not giving them your energy and attention. Mm-hmm. And that's what we all want, right? We yeah. all see yeah. our absolute best and have our strengths and talents come out and be realized in our future. Sure. sure. Ray, I understand you have a question from the audience. Are you, oh, you have one? No, you do. Oh, I, well, I have a, one of the things that, came to mind uh, listening to Sabrina was that she read many, many FTDs, which is, of course is uh, not something I can do. I, I fall asleep easily. But uh, one of the things that did come to mind is uh, in the reading of the FTDs, is there a way of telling what the culture is like? And essentially that's what you're talking about. 
is the culture. Uh, can, is there some way, does the culture come out somehow in an FDD or is it just the numbers? In some ways, you're going to have more of that through conversations with the leadership and franchisees, but you can find information in how they present their training. So their, that training package and the upfront services that they provide, that's an area where you can see how in-depth are they actually going? Like, what are they doing to ensure that person launches well? Because a brand that invests a lot in their franchisees launching well and providing a lot of support for them, they're investing in them. So they're making a counter-investment. The franchisee is making an investment. The franchisor is investing as well. And you can see that in the disclosure documents. You can also see it in their retention rate. We have a calculation that shows us how many franchisees are leaving the system, are ceasing operations. And so we, we calculate a retention rate so that our brokers can easily see that. And then you look at things like how they handle conflict in their lawsuits. What, what are the types of lawsuits that they're having and what kind of conversations are they having? And then finally, you look at the leadership to see how long the leadership has worked together. And if they've worked together a long time, you can start to see that they've worked through their baggage and they're an effective team because they're staying together for a long time. And so that can, those can be indicators. They all need to be validated, of course, in your research process, but they are indicators for what the culture of the brand would be. So let's talk about, um, Sabrina, with all the information that's available out there for people who are looking to buy a franchise, what do you feel are some of the you know, five most important pieces of information that, she, that people should be looking at before they buy a franchise? Cost, um, sure. validation, um, the retention rate of franchisees I think is extremely important. I also think the business model of the franchise is very, very important. And then of course, the financial performance of the brand. Uh, I would add a bonus, which is the, the training and support, like making sure that they are really launching them well. But I mean, those are, you're probably pretty familiar with those, that group of them, but I would say that whenever you're going through a process of evaluating a franchise, those franchises that have a model that is really designated uh, and designed to help their franchisees grow in revenue mm-hmm. and they structure their, how they make money close to that, then you can find that you're not just aligned in today's group of people with that franchise, but you're in line with tomorrow's and the next decade of people that are in that franchise. They're financially incentivized and set up in a way that aligns with what the franchisees incentive and alignments are. So So, so you're saying in in terms of model, it should be where the franchisor has a vested interest that they grow together. So they only, as a franchisor, benefit if the franchisee has a way to benefit and succeed, correct? Correct, yes. Is there one that you would say um, people should avoid a certain type? A certain type of franchise? Yeah, a certain model. Oh, um, I 
personally have witnessed many brands that focus on selling like, and it's not all of them, of course, but there are some brands that their model is really more to make their franchisees a customer, a long-term customer, and they don't, they just make kind of the bare minimum and um, they just kind of keep them in business. Mm -hmm. That to me isn't a really thriving structure. So when they set up their model to kind of make the franchisee purchase a big maybe package in the front and then they have a lot of uh, services that they have to buy through that franchise, if that ends up being a large portion of their revenue and a large focus for them, it changes the incentive to make it not aligned with the franchisee. It's more, how can I get more franchisees in and even resell that location if they fail? Because I'll make more money reselling that location if they fail. So those tend to be ones that I don't love. Um, right. you know, they, they are good for some people and they work for some people. But sure. for, for our, just as a general rule, we try to not go that direction. Yeah. So I have a question from the audience. And, and um, I am really interested in your take on this because I, I know – what I would say, but it's it's interesting to see what you would say. Do you feel like the broker is working more for the potential franchisee or more for the franchisor? So we have a very interesting business because we kind of, we are paid by the franchisor. So from a legal fiduciary responsibility, the franchisor is the one that pays us. So the franchisor is our client. But because we have so much inventory, we have the ability to switch the client from franchise to franchise if that franchise isn't a right fit for them. And this is kind of a, it's a unique space to franchising because you're both, a franchisor said this to me, he said the franchisor and the broker are both clients and um, they're clients and um and vendors, you know, like they're, they're, they have both sides of it. And the franchisee sure. are the same way, like yeah. a client and a customer, both, mm-hmm. both sides. And so yeah. what that does is it creates this very unique dynamic where you're more incentivized to work it out and to work mm-hmm. through whatever issue you're facing and to yeah. try to find the right solution. So for brokers taking candidates through the award process, because they know that if they're, if the brand isn't a fit for that candidate, the franchise doesn't want that either. So sure. it's, it is okay and acceptable as long as you have good communication and are being honest and clear in the process to move someone from one franchise to a franchise that is a more appropriate fit. And sometimes the client, most times actually, the client is figuring it out for themselves in the process. Like they're starting thinking, oh, I want this brand because I was a customer there and I loved it. And then as they start to uncover what does that really mean? What is that? How is that going to actually impact me? What kind of liability am I going to be? Mm -hmm. What kind of revenue? What hours am I going to work? When they go through that process, all of a sudden that brand is no longer what they were Mm -hmm. looking for. And so now it's, 
okay, let's redesign what we wanted to do here and let's refocus on the things that I actually want. And right. if they're open to it, we can save a lot of time in the process and help direct them correctly in the beginning. But sometimes they need to go through that learning process to find sure. out themselves. So we just support them and help them along the way so that they get to that discovery. But ultimately, yeah. they get to the discovery of what's right for them. Well, I think that that's where um, the buyers become very confused, right? And that's where I think when you talk about um, having morals and ethics, mm -hmm. um, you know, brokers are selling, right? And, and the big key to that is that, you know, while you're selling, by definition, you're selling really for me, it's more about helping someone find their way. You're advising them. And so it's always curious to look at people who charge a fee to help people buy a franchise versus people who don't, but they know that the broker gets paid. And so it's, it's always a very interesting dynamic. And obviously, the people who are looking to become franchisees have to make a decision on what feels best to them. Um, but I always tell people that, you know, you have to find somebody that you feel comfortable with, that you can trust, that goes through really all the necessary steps to identify why are you looking, what are your reasons, right? And it, it's not just the broker should never be looking at, you know, I'm going to sell brand A versus uh, brand B because brand A pays me $20,000 a, a deal more. I mean, that's the biggest disservice that a broker could do to anyone looking to buy a franchise. Right. So, excellent. Ray, do you have any more questions on your computer? I, I, I just have a quick question, and uh, what was coming to my mind was the winnowing process. In other words, so what did you suggest a prospective buyer uh, maybe look at 10 FTDs and from that, select, I'm just pulling numbers, you tell me, uh, maybe five that he's going to go on Discovery Day, and, and when they go on Discovery Day, what should they be looking for? So the narrowing down process, typically you're not going to be reading the FCD unless you're very interested in that brand, so you go through some initial discussion and discovery first before you ever get to that point. Once you do get the, to the FCD, most franchisees uh, that are looking to be, or most potential franchisees, they have not spent a lot of time reading a bunch of FTDs, so it kind of becomes gobbledygook. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, even if they're very uh, intelligent, uh, they're just not used to what are the franchise terms and what, it, what does this actually mean in practice. They, they haven't gone through enough of them. So I think that's a pretty arduous exercise to go through a bunch of FTDs if you're not an industry professional, but having a good team around you of trusted advisors that can help you to sort through all of the brands and then find the ones that are going to give you what you're looking for and then researching those, that's a really powerful process. And you know, I talk to franchisors, franchisees, brokers every day. One of the things that I've been hearing consistently in the last few months especially is this major increase in franchisors who are reviewing the data on their franchisee success. And they're telling me when we get leads, candidates that come to us 
through a franchise broker, they are significantly more successful in our system. And so they're like more and more you're seeing entire franchise brands switch their model from any outside advertising to move to a hundred percent broker model because Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal for them is that qualified franchisee that can they can build the system with in such a beautiful, profound way. And if they can find those people and surround themselves with those people, well, then they can build something really meaningful for a lot of people all at once. So brokers provide a lot of value in that process, being able to fine-tune, direct, and clear the clutter make it organized and say, hey, here here are the options that get you what you're looking Mm -hmm. for. And you had also mentioned uh, on Discovery Day. So on Discovery Day, the things that they are looking for is they want to see the team. How does the team work together? Uh, How visit a location, test the products, see the systems. You're getting a glimpse into real operations of that business before you ever pay anything. And that's not extremely common in the world. And yet through franchising, you have this lens of clarity that puts this picture of information into complete focus. And when you're in complete focus, you can make intelligent truth-based decisions instead of fear-based decisions. And that's what we arm our brokers to do, and that's what they do in helping their candidates through the process. So everyone's talking right now about AI and GBT. Tell me, what do you foresee AI doing to the future of franchising? Well, I can tell you that what I've seen so far is many franchise systems, especially some of the larger kind of umbrella systems, they're using AI to find qualified employees. And that whole hiring pre-interview process, I know Neighborly does this and a few other brands, but they're, they're using the system, like AI systems that they've invested in to have a line of uh, of employees for their franchisees to employ. And to me, that is one of the areas that people are often very afraid of in becoming a business owner. It's like, how am I going to handle employees? How am I going to get employees? I'm not used to working to this type of, with this type of employee, but the franchise can arm their people with, these resources, well, now it's easy. You're picking through a a list of really high-quality employees. I would say uh, marketing is probably going to be a lot easier. You can have it more more intensified, lots of additional content. Um, I think operations manuals, they're going to be more full, more clean, more clear. My experience with AI, I think it's going to grow and it's going to continue to improve. But one thing that I haven't seen it truly capture is the life essence, like the essence of like that little specialness and the spark that makes certain copy or conversation resonate with people. And while you can have a more general or generic, I, I haven't yet seen that, but I'm sure that 
they'll get there eventually, even if it's, um, you know, a formula or something, but. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me as we begin the wrap-up process, I would love to know how many brokers do you have in your system right now and how many franchisors do you have to present directly? Obviously, you know, I know they can present to anybody, but how many are you working with right now, franchisors? Yeah, we're approaching 200 brokers and we have about 800 franchisors. Then we have data on about 3,000 franchise systems that we can compare and contrast. And if there's one that's kind of a one-off, then mm -hmm. we'll go. We have a team that will actually go and talk to that franchise and work with them and kind of explain the power of working with FBA brokers and uh, helping them in that, in that process of coming on board with us. Awesome. And if somebody wants to learn more about Franchise Brokers Association in general, speak with you, learn what it's like to be a broker, how do they best get in touch with you? Uh, they can just go to the website, franchiseba.com. Um, my LinkedIn profile is at franchiseba.com as well. Everything's franchiseba. So franchiseba is the way to find us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing what the next year holds for, for you and your team at FBA. And wish you all the luck in the world. And we hope to get some more updates as we go down the world of franchising success in the next uh, year or so. So thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Um, we we will obviously have all of your contact information at the at our credits as well at the end for anybody who might want to talk with Sabrina Wall, the FBA team, uh, on anything franchising. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen, and all, the, all the team here. I appreciate it. Bye, everyone. Thanks for your time. Sabrina. Hey, franchise owners. How does your local marketing do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y.com. And welcome back to another episode of Soda Good Franchising. A huge thank you to Sabrina Wall for taking time out of her very busy day to join us and talk a little bit about Franchise Brokers Association. Andrea, obviously, as a founder and franchisor previously, you've got a lot of thoughts on using brokers to help grow your business versus the franchise development team, no? Yeah, I mean, it's such a, it, I mean, I hate the word controversial topic, but it, it kind of is because I, I know that some franchisors have such a strong opinion on brokers and they just yeah. like, know they, they just fundamentally don't believe in it. Others mm -hmm. don't understand why someone would not just go the broker route. And I think um, there's just there's a lot of gray area in understanding really, I think, the difference, too, between what the friend development person does and the broker does. And, and um, you know, I work now with a lot of franchise brands that 
want to grow and there's there's just a lot of misconceptions about how a broker network can help them. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I think one of the biggest things is, and, and you know, Sabrina touched a lot on this, is, is from the franchise, franchisee perspective, is really looking at what is in place for the franchisor to actually be ready to franchise. And I think mm-hmm. brokers can really be instrumental in helping a potential franchisee understand that. So. You know, I see I see value in in both ways, but the reality is organic leads are not they they run out um, yeah. quick. And then you know, once you get to the size of like a McDonald's, well, of course you run out of territory, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you need a little bit of both at different stages. So you you grew the whole Scoa brand, which is incredible it, it got it to a point where you know the, the the umbrella company came in and bought that when you first started building your business did you feel and, and i'm asking this because i know you participate a lot in springboard which is an event for emerging brands did you feel like brand development that was with under your direct umbrella could speak to the features and benefits better about your brand because they had one-on-one contact with you or did you feel uh, having a broker or advisor or consultant was just as good? Well, the, the, the thing I discovered when I started working, the first network we started working with um, um, was FriendNet and okay. what I realized right away was I did a discovery day with the FriendNet brokers and the questions they asked made me really realize like I had to have ducks in a row or they were not going to show my brand to anyone. You had to have mm-hmm. a program, clear, easy to follow. You had to be able to communicate what their client was going to come in and experience. Sure. You had to show what your operations management tools were. You had to show what your marketing planning was and how that was going to get those locations to cash flow positive and when. Um, even though they wouldn't necessarily be able to communicate that to the candidate, they wanted to know that if they recommended your brand, they were going to look like a great broker. And that was, you know, a part of it. But what I realized after I started to get broker leads in is it's a really great experience when they send you a lead that's a good fit. And Sabrina mentioned this too, because if you're getting an organic lead, you're having to teach that lead what franchising actually is. So yes. you're having to explain to them why you can't tell them how much money they're going to make and why you can only speak to certain things and why you can't speak to another. You're not trying to be unhelpful. You're actually protecting yes. the franchise industry and them as a potential franchisee because you're not selling them on something that you can't verify. You know, I think that's a really good point. I wanted to just um, stop right there for a second. For people who are listening that are in the process or thinking about buying a franchise, if they haven't been following along and they're they're not familiar, you know, the franchisor, it is illegal for them to discuss some of this information. And that's what you're talking about right there, right, is that, you know, if you are somebody out there and you think you know you want this specific brand and you call up and you say, I want to buy, you know, I want to be a franchisee for you. Tell me how much I can make. Tell me all the, you know, all this information. The franchisor isn't trying to be slippery with you, though it might feel that way. By law, they cannot disclose certain things. 
businesses. So I think that's a really good point for people to understand is when franchisors don't disclose information, it's quite often because it's illegal. Well, and it's a big red flag if they are. I mean, yeah. yeah. But when a broker sends you a lead, you skip that whole step of having to teach that lead what franchising is. So, mm -hmm. you know, and another, you know, really big thing that can happen with an organic lead is you have to send the FTD at a certain point in the process, and it's early. And that can be a very scary document. It's very seemingly one-sided. Um, it allows for a lot of things that seem like, how are you ever going to make any money? Um, and so if you don't have someone kind of explaining why those things are in there, mm -hmm. then you could very easily have a candidate just look at that and say, oh, my God, this is way too much. Like, this doesn't seem right. Um, so I think there's that aspect. And time kills deals. Brokers are great at keeping a franchise candidate on a timeline. They, they want to move them through your process. And for us, I think it really helped us act, create a process that we could put people through in short succession to not only get them the yes if they were the right fit, but actually get them to know really quickly, too. Yeah. Uh, because that's equally important. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I mean, obviously, you've been through the gamut, so you know. You know, I, I, I do wonder, do you feel like some brands are better suited using a broker I mean like take McDonald's right now they won't even touch a broker right they are everything is 100% in-house perhaps because they don't need to pay anybody else to help them I mean I'm sure they have a plethora of reasons but is there a point in time where you just simply don't need the help from brokers or consultants anymore yeah I, I think there there is I mean the way I look at the broker network is they they really are a lead source, and I think if you're looking at them in a different way, maybe yeah. you're going to have a disappointing experience or you're going to have a, an expectation that's unfulfilled. Um, and, and what, yes, they do cost a lot when they close a deal. But the reality is you can also throw a lot of mud at the wall um, mm -hmm. and pay a lot of money. That's probably the wrong thing. I know I get them wrong all the time, um, but you get the point and nothing sticks, right? And you're paying right. that up front. At least with the broker networks, for the most part, you've got some fees. Um, and get discovery days with brokers, although after COVID, those seem to be fewer and far between. Yeah. Um, but you're paying when they close the deal. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're incurring that cost generally when you're getting paid. So, if you look at it that way, it, it is a little bit different. Like you're not going to get a lot of traction if you're spending like a thousand dollars a month on lead gen on your own, and you're just trying to figure it out without any kind of real digital marketing background. I think sure. it would be really hard. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's a really good point too, because what the franchisor has to understand is that the brokerage firms like Franchise Brokers Association, they're spending a lot of money too to find qualified leads. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes an organization like Sabrina's is out there, they're fishing for leads, and then the individual brokers, they're fishing for leads. And so from from a franchisor perspective, you know, maybe you let them all invest that money and yeah. see what they come up with, right? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, what I really learned and, and sort of came to realize is that brokers are great partners for your brand. I mean, the more they know about what you're doing and how your business is doing and 
what plans you have and how you're improving things for franchisees, the more they want to share what you're doing with their clients. And so you have to keep those relationships going. And I think a lot of brokers value relationships with founders. They want you involved in that process. They don't want usually to deal only with the business development person. They want to know that that founder or that CEO is going to have some more deeper level of involvement. Um, totally agree. Yeah, and, and I mean, the reality is that's important to a system. Yeah, right? well, I feel that way about some of the folks that we've had on our show, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great to talk to some VPs of friend of, friend of but I want to know, like, kind of the mouth of the person that started the company, if the buck stops here, right? And and when we talk to somebody who says, well, you know, that's not really my thing. It's really more of a brand development thing. Well, shame on you because if, it's, if this is your brand and you don't know those answers, maybe you're not in the right seat. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and, and I mean, I think the the founder also needs to really understand their FDD. Um, yeah. You know, and, and in fact, everyone that works in the system needs to understand it. And, uh, it's a, you know, I think Sabrina would agree with this. Um, it is not a negative thing. Like, to me, an SDD, a well-written SDD, is an incredible tool to be able to use to walk someone through the process and have them yeah. go in with their eyes wide open um, because you want them to have as much knowledge before they sign. You don't want them to sign and then... Oh my God! Sure. Like they didn't know certain things. It's, it's yeah. a closure document. It's telling them what to expect and what could happen. Yeah, um, you know, good point about that too that you bring out is that if you're, you may find or feel that it's all one-sided, right? But I know I've talked to several clients and like, and they're like, Oh my gosh, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. And actually, even with our own franchise system, where they changed our national marketing how we had to pay for that. You know, luckily I can say, listen, I know it seems bad, but it's really part of the industry standard, right? So like yeah. in our case, I can say, listen, what, you know, Molly Maid has chosen to do is really no different than anybody else. We just hadn't been doing it that way before. And somebody's looking at a brand and they're like, oh, I don't really like this. It seems like it's really one-sided. I can say, well, based on all the other brands in that industry, they all do the same thing. So yeah. it's not... You know, it's not a bad thing. It's really to educate you, and you learn more. Certainly, as a broker, now I'm like, okay, what is the next model I want to buy? Because there's so much out there, and the more you understand about it, again, to your point, you go in eyes wide open, and it's it can be wildly successful for somebody who's ready to to really delve in and, and do some work. And and I think a great broker is good at helping a franchisee understand that most of the clauses in there are designed to protect the system, which includes the franchisee. So, That's for right. example, if there's a clause about um, termination and the franchise or having the ability, and this has come up before, even in mm-hmm. consult with, and and can you know they can just get rid of me anytime. Well, no, they can't. But they can't, you want to have a mechanism to be able to get rid of a rogue franchisee who's damaging the whole system yeah. and he'd be right next door to your territory and doing things that make your brand, your your location look like they're a part of something really negative. So Very good. that actually protects you. So sometimes brokers can be super instrumental in kind of helping a franchisee see the perspective of what that document is for. 
um, and how that can be very helpful to them as a franchisee. So, I mean, there's there's two sides. Like, and the the reality is, when I say these things about the positives, that means the that has to be the execution of a very strong, positive, skilled broker. And there are some that just probably aren't aren't doing that. And they're just showing brands that give them the highest commission. And that mm-hmm. happens. That happens in any industry where they're paid by commission. So I mean, I think that the onus is also on the person who's you know got a broker. And I think Sabrina herself says she didn't have a great experience. It's pretty easy to tell. Sure. Um, you know, if someone seems a little bit incentivized, but yet they're not comparing apples to apples with brands. So I think those are good things to look for when you're a candidate is asking your broker, well, how do you assess which, which brand would you think is the right brand for me? What, mm-hmm. what standards are you using to measure that? So you know that that broker is actually being quite objective. Absolutely. Important. Yeah. Well, Andrea, thank you so much. As always, we completely value you here on this team and all the experience that you bring. And um, hopefully we've been able to shine a light on some of the differences um, for our listeners out there today. And we look forward to talking to you hopefully again next week. Thank you. And right after this, we'll be back with Karen Kimsey Ford and Ray Tiller. 50 graduates resulting in seven new franchisees owning eight franchise brands, more than a dozen skilled graduates who are employees of franchise companies, all of them having earned a concentration in franchising exclusively granted by the Titus Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University, plus more than 80 franchise professionals on our advisory board. The Titus Center for Franchising is on fire in West Palm Beach, Florida. What do you need to join us? My students want to hear from you. They may even want to buy your franchise or work for your company. TitusCenter.com. Hi, Hi, Ray. Long time no see. Yeah. It's great to be back on the show, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. What is our subject today? It's interesting. I was thinking about, you know, we're talking a lot, and I love the conversation between about brokers, and you think about the broker relationship and the the franchisor, and there's another part to this equation, too. And and, and when you're, you know, if you're a franchise, you're looking to buy a franchise, right? So you're a prospective buyer. A lot of times we focus on the culture of the the franchising community. We take a look at the relationship with the franchisor, other franchisees. That's very, very important. And the one thing not to miss is the other part of the equation is every day we're going to be spending in the business we bought. I think many times uh, franchisees I've worked with or people that buy, their perception of what they're buying and the reality of what they're buying, there's a gap sometimes. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, I know what I bought mine. Uh, uh, I've got pretty much in the high tech industry, so working with high tech individuals uh, is uh, certainly a lot different than uh, uh, working with uh, uh, the employees we have now. So, yeah, it, it, it was a culture shock for me. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and I think you know when when people are selling, right? Many times the um, the, the prospective buyer. They'll talk to the franchisee. They'll talk and they'll be like, I've got all these people. I have this wonderful team, this wonderful staff. And they'll take a look at the, the numbers. Wow, they've got a lot of people on board. And then when they get, if they don't really take it a step further to interview those people, if they can, 
to spend maybe a day with them, understand are they going to stay, what are, what, are, what are their goals, what is that relationship, what's that culture, like really digging in before they buy and understanding it. And part of it is it doesn't mean they're not going to buy it. It just means what are they going to plan for? What is what is that that whole talent plan look like, sound like? How much are they going to have to invest in it to know that as they're buying is a, it's just a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, you're absolutely correct. And of course, the other part of the culture shock for me was uh, I was working with all guys, and now I'm working with all ladies. <laughs> so with a guy, a guy comes in and says, "Hey, I want a raise." I'll say, "No," <laughs> and he walks out. Yeah. So you don't exactly word it that way. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You, know, you have to smooth it out a little bit. And, you know, it, 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 it works. And uh, you, you learn to adjust to it. Absolutely. Yes. And I think knowing your team is good. I think the, the second piece that I think a lot of, a lot of prospective uh, franchisees don't take a look at when they're buying an existing franchise is, is the um, kind of the, the market. You know, they'll be told, oh, we think this is what, what we can do. This is what we did in the past. But, again, really taking a look at that market, taking a look at the competition. What's, what's, the, real, what's the real prospect? And maybe doing their own market analysis, not just taking what people say, but really digging into that, too, because too many times I found they have obscenely larger numbers than they can do. They think they can do it faster. So it's really the reality of that because many times I'm like, well, I've got something existing. This is going to be great. I can just plop in there and I can just keep it going and get it moving faster. But that's not always the case. So having that dose of reality, um, I think, is, is, a, is a really, a really very sound idea uh, when thinking about buying a uh, an existing franchise. And when buying an existing franchise, I think it's always a good idea to find out if there is a reason why the franchise is for sale, other than what's been disclosed. Yeah. You know, it might be obvious, oh, the guy's going to retire or something. But maybe why? Is he retiring because he knows something is coming that, uh, you know, nobody else knows about? (laughs) You know, it'd be a good idea if you could dig into it and see what you can find. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that the, the last one that I always think about is it's the whole the brand. People buy brand. Mm-hmm. And franchisees, you think, oh, this, this is a great brand. This is wonderful. There's a global brand, and then there's the local brand. Yeah, Even just taking a look at, you know, like Yelp reviews, taking mm-hmm. a look at the Google reviews, really getting an understanding that. Because, again, I've had, I have friends who have bought franchises, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I should have done more work there. Because the brand has such a bad reputation, they just spend a lot of time and money, um, you, you know, trying, trying, to, trying to correct that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. The national brand might be fantastic, and everybody recognizes it. But this one area right. has a problem, and that could be why the franchise is for sale, too. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why it's really, you know, I just urge anyone buying an existing franchise to take like an onion, right? Feeling an onion. It's asking more questions and then also making sure that you get into the franchise and, and understand the franchise and understand exactly what you're buying and what you're going to live with on a daily basis. You know, uh, when we were uh, <clears throat> talking with Sabrina, we mentioned uh, a, a little bit of, about Discovery Day. And the thing that one of the things that came to mind is uh, 
I attended quite a few before I bought my franchise. And there were quite a few of them who were strictly numbers. So they brought you into what looked like a boardroom and put on a you know, big presentation. You're going to earn this much. <laughs> all the numbers and, you know. But there was one, and the one I bought, who <clears throat> basically lined up all the employees there. And you shook, shook hands with everyone that was there. And you knew their job and what they're doing and what they're, how they're going to help yeah. you, you know. To me, that made the big difference. Again, and that's the franchisor. And then I think also within the franchise, that's a big difference too. Because yep. we can have these visions of what it could look like, and that's great. But what are we buying? What, 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 what's our as-is? What's our as-is situation right now? I'm sorry? I say it's what, what is our as-is? What is our as-is situation? It's almost like what's the current situation we have in the franchise, within the franchise? Yep, yep. So anything, anything else you have when you're taking a look at it? Ah, no, nothing. I think we're good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. I'm sorry. I was laughing here. We'd like to thank you all for joining us on the show today. A huge thank you to Sabrina Wall with the Franchise Business Association. As always, we appreciate our million-dollar mentors, Jerry Akers, Andrea Mundy, Ray Tiller, Karen Kimsey Ford, for their continued commitment and insights to the show. Another thank you to Laura Liss, our franchise lawyer. And last but not least, a shout out to a shout out of thanks to our friend McMurray. I am Kristen Shelmessy, your fifth franchising mentor, and together we are your resource for franchising success. This has been yet another episode of Pillars of Franchising. And remember to join us next week at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you get your podcast. And remember, the dream starts here. Have a great week. Recording stop. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.